Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, as we just sang, Lord, about your amazing grace. Father, today I pray as we hear your word here in the book of Philippians, as we seek real lasting joy, Lord, that we would hear the message of your amazing grace. Lord, it is by your grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that our chains fall off and we are set free. Father, help us to hear that message today. Help us to rejoice in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We are looking at discovering joy, working on the, the book of Philippians. Paul's interest here is to teach us how to have eternal, lasting joy. And so we are looking at that in this book of Philippians. Today we are looking at rejoicing in Christ alone, part one. Uh, rejoicing in Christ alone, this is part one. Next week we'll, we'll look at the rest of this paragraph. We're going to look at the first part, verses uh, one through seven this morning, and then look at on through uh, eight through eleven next week. But it's all really very connected. So uh, we, we need to make sure we think about that and keep that in mind as we go through this. In fact, as I read this morning, I want to read through verse 11, uh, but we'll be focusing in message-wise, we'll be focusing in uh, through 7. So we're looking at the rejoicing in Christ alone. So if you will, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though... I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for, for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, I'm told that uh, preaching is no longer in vogue. Uh, it, it, preaching, as we understand preaching, is not in style anymore. And, and I'm told that uh, really, if you're going to be a preacher in a church, you, you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't be worried about getting up and, and taking a text of Scripture and expounding on that text of Scripture and, and digging into it and, and pointing people to Christ 
through the text of Scripture week after week after week. What you ought to be doing as a preacher is that you ought to just, you know, kind of fill out the congregation, check out the felt needs of the congregation, and, and you should address those needs. And, and don't worry about, you know, throw some Scripture in there to, you know, to make it a, a Christian-type thing, but, but don't worry about you know, pointing people to Christ week after week and saying, you know, preaching the gospel week after week. That's not in style anymore. Now you should just give a 15, 20-minute talk about the felt needs of the congregation. And if you do that, then, hey, man, you'll pack out the church. Well, I'm sure that if you do that, you could probably add some more people to the audience. But that will get no one into heaven. That will give nobody the assurance of eternal salvation. Because there is only one name in heaven and in earth by which one must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. So when I get up here week after week after week, and I say to you, turn in your Bibles to and I take a text of Scripture, and I show you how that points us to Christ. How it points us to the salvation in Jesus Christ. How to have a, a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. I do that because, as Paul says, it's no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Because there's no other name. No other name by which you must be saved with the name of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our main business as the people of God. And so as Paul tells us here, as he begins to expound to us how we are to find everlasting joy, he over and over again says, Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice in the Lord. There's a reason because it's only in the Lord, Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we ever find everlasting joy. So we continue then this morning and we look at this text of Scripture, Philippians 3, 1 through 7, and we discover this. Rejoice in Christ alone, for no one else nor anything else has the power to save. Rejoice in Christ alone, for no one else, no other name, nor anything else has the power to save. Let's see this in our text this morning then, and we will see here in our text first an exhortation, then a warning, and then finally an explanation, and that's how Paul kind of lays this text out. And so begin this morning with the exhortation. The exhortation, and the exhortation here is rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Finally, my brothers, I love how Paul says that. This is a true preacher, right? He Finally, my brothers, and he goes on for 12 more paragraphs. Continues on. That's, that's a preacher right there. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Let's think about what he's saying there. That's, in this paragraph, the whole paragraph here, 1 through 11, there are uh, two imperatives, two commands. Uh, well, actually three, but one of them combined to make one. So the, this is the first one, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And he says, to write the same thing to you is no trouble to me. Now let's think about what Paul has been telling us all along. If you go back to chapter 1, there in verse uh, what is that? Verse 18, after he talks about those who are going out preaching the gospel, and he says, some, they know that I'm here in jail, and some do it out of love for me because they know I want 
Christ preached, but others, they do it out of selfish ambition and conceit. They do it to, to think they're going to uh, hurt me some way. And he says, what does he say there? Uh, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I rejoice because the gospel of Christ is being proclaimed to the lost. He says, and yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. But with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, I rejoice in Christ. I rejoice in Christ. If I can give my whole life to glorify Christ, I rejoice and I am glad in that. He tells us rejoice in the Lord. And then again, he goes on and tells us again there, uh, talks about joy several times on through there. But then likewise, he says, uh, even if I, chapter 2, verse 17, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also be glad and rejoice with me. If you, dear friends, grow in your relationship to Christ, if Christ is exalted in my life, rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice and I am glad and I, I encourage you, be glad and rejoice with me. Rejoice in the Lord. And then when we get to chapter 3, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you. No trouble to me. Now I know all of you have heard your parents and, and if you're parents, you probably said this to your children, don't make me repeat myself. And there's so many things that we don't want to have to repeat ourselves. But when it comes to telling people to rejoice in the Lord, we ought to be glad to repeat ourselves over and over and over again. As I stand before you week after week in this pulpit, it is no trouble for me to point you week after week to Christ. No trouble whatsoever. I have no problem repeating myself. I love to repeat myself when it comes to Christ and pointing people to Christ. Reminded of the story of, of Martin Luther. One time one of Martin Luther's congregants came to him and said, Pastor, why is it that week after week after week all you ever preach to us is the gospel? Of course, implying that we're ready to move on to something else. Certainly, we know this by now. And Luther, he turned around and responded, Well, because week after week, you forget it. Because week after week, you walk in here looking like a people who don't believe the gospel. And until you walk in looking like people who are truly liberated by the truth of the gospel, I'm going to continue to preach it to you. Oh, how often we forget the glorious, wonderful news of the gospel. Oh, how often we get so weighed down with all the other cares and concerns of the world and we forget our freedom in Christ. And so, yes, even as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to hear the gospel over and over and over again. I don't think Martin Luther, till his dying days, ever quit preaching the gospel to his congregation. Because he knew they, just as he did, just as we all do, we constantly forget how glorious and wonderful Christ is. So Paul calls us to rejoice in the Lord. There's a uh, first thing that we need to think about as we think about that, the, this exhortation to rejoice in the Lord, is that as we look at why do we need this exhortation, why do we need this constant reminder? Because, first of all, we are in a world full of competitors. We have a world full of competitors that are before us. 
There's a world full of competitors competing for our joy, competing for our contentment. They want our attentions. And when we look at the world, the world is, is constantly throwing material things at us, wanting us to find our joy in material things. And our flesh wants to find joy in the material things of this world, doesn't it? Oh, if I only had this, if I only had that, then I would be happy. Commercials tell you, buy our product and it will bring you joy. It'll bring you contentment. You'll be happy if you have this product, this brand of jeans, or this style of hair, or whatever. The world is constantly trying to sell us on their goods that that is the secret to your joy and a fulfilled life. But you know what? All of those material things continually depress us (laughs) And fail us when it comes to delivering lasting joy. Because material things rot and tear and burn and are destroyed. Vehicles break down. Houses tear up. We, we're, you know, we're remodeling our house. We just bought a house. We're re- remodeling it. We're, we're fixing so many things that had been broken over the years. But, you know, guess what? In a few years, there's going to be more broke things. More things to fix. If you're a homeowner, you know that. Material possessions, material things will let us down. They won't deliver joy, lasting joy, because they're all temporary at best. Material things compete for our joy. Other people compete for our joy. Well, if I'm just married to this man or this woman, then I'll be happy. Let me tell you, young guys, whoever you think your spouse may be, they won't deliver eternal lasting joy. They're sinners, just like you're sinners, and they will let you down. I love my wife. I do. But she's not perfect, and I'm not perfect, and we let one another down all the time. But praise be to God, in Christ we are united in Him. If it weren't for Jesus, where would we be? Some people look for joy in good health. If I, if I have this good health, if I feel good and can do all of these things, and, and then I'll find happiness and joy. Well, guess what? We all get older. And things begin to break down and tear down. And eventually we're all going to that, that other place. <laughs> Lord willing, if the Lord doesn't return, we're all going to the graveyard, the ultimate breakdown spot. You know, these bodies break down. And if we look to good health as that fulfiller of joy, our health will let us down in this broken world. But here's the number one competitor for our joy, and that's what Paul points at today, and that is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness, our own selfish righteousness, thinking that somehow, someway, I can do it. I don't need the Lord. I don't need God's help because I can get me there. I'm independent. That's, that's the American way. We are to be independent. We're not to trust on anybody else. We're not to rely on anybody else. There's no need to repent. There's no need to ask for forgiveness because we can do it ourselves. We're Americans. But as we're going to see today, we let ourselves down over and over and over and over again. We cannot even fulfill our own joy. So with a world full of competitors then we find that Christ alone is the source of eternal joy 
Christ alone is the source of eternal joy. What Paul has been telling us over and over and over again. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And we're going to continue to hear it all the way to the end of this book. Rejoice in the Lord. Because the Lord alone is eternal. And the Lord alone promises eternal joy rejoice in the lord trust in the lord because christ alone is the source all goodness all joy flows out of christ and out of christ alone so we find our joy in christ Hear this exhortation. Hear it. Hear it. Hear it today, dear friend. Exhort. Hear this exhortation. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Christ. Rejoice in Him alone. Now there's a reason he starts out this paragraph paragraph with this statement. Rejoice in the Lord. To say the same thing to you is no problem for me and is safe for you. The way you are saved. And now he proceeds on to give us this warning. The warning. The reason why he is having to remind the people of Philippi and us to rejoice in the Lord. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Or you could put beware of the dogs. Beware of the evildoers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. We have the warning here. Beware of false teachers. Beware of false teachers. Now, there are two classes of false teachers that we find in Scripture. There's, first of all, there's the class that they're false teachers in the sense that they, they preach something completely different from the gospel. All right, so you have those who, they don't preach Christ. They don't preach the deity of Christ. They don't preach uh, Jesus as anything other than a, a good moral teacher. So Mormonism, Islam, Buddhism, all of these other religions. But that's not the false teachers that Paul is focusing on here. Because there's other false teachers out there. There's false teachers who, yes, they, they proclaim the deity of Jesus Christ. They have no problem with Jesus. Yes, they believe in the, the, the deity of Jesus, that he was God's very son, eternal son, who came down from glory and he lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins. And, and they teach that and preach that. The problem is, though, that there's false teachers who take, yes, Christ, yes, you believe in Christ, but you got to have Christ plus something else. When you put Christ plus anything, is not the gospel. Christ plus anything else will not save. Christ plus anything else will not deliver eternal joy. And those are the ones that he is talking about here, the, the false teachers that he is, he is bringing to us and warning us of. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evildoers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. These are Christians. These are followers of Christ in many ways. They're adding to the gospel. They're perverting the very gospel that they seem to be proclaiming. In fact, think about who these teachers are for a moment. As Paul talks about them, they're, they're dogs, they're evildoers, they're mutilators of the flesh. And he goes on here to say in verse 3, for we are the circumcision. Now, who is he talking about? Can we find out anything about these false teachers? Yes, in fact, we can. As we think about what Paul is addressing, the issues that he is addressing, these false teachers were what were called Judaizers. Judaizers. You see, they were Jewish Christians who, uh, they liked Christ. 
They believed in Christ. They, they preached Christ crucified, buried, dead, raised again. They preached, you must believe in Christ to be saved. But then they began to add to that. They said, not only do you have to have Christ, but you also have to have the Mosaic Law. You have to have circumcision. You have to keep the celebrations, the, the ceremonies, and all of these different things from the Mosaic Law. We see this in as in Acts chapter 15, we see the first evidence of these Judaizers. Uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 1, Paul has just returned. Paul and uh, Barnabas have returned from their first missionary journey. And now here they are. And he says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So in other words, they were teaching Christ plus circumcision. Christ plus plus the Mosaic Law. And the Jerusalem Council found that to be false teaching. And they gave orders that the Gentiles were not to be hindered by such things. But now, here, continuing on, here now several years later, Paul is still fighting the issue because there's still Judaizers out there, and they're saying, you have to have Christ plus legalism. Plus obedience to the law, circumcision, keeping the Mosaic ceremonies and all of these holidays and, and such. Gospel plus anything else is not the gospel. We need to understand that false teachers are deceptive. False teachers are deceptive. These false teachers that are, are, are breaking in there and disrupting the church, they are deceptive. You see, they look the part. They look good. False teachers look good on the outside. They know how to look like a Christian. They know how to, to talk the talk and walk the walk. They know how to look good. And they have, they have uh, persuasive rhetoric. They know how to talk the talk. And they can get in there and they can, can tweak things and, and really get people riled up emotionally. And they can get you stirred up. They can talk the talk. They're deceptive. They make you think they know what they're talking about. And then they begin on falsehood. False teachers are perverters of the gospel. They are perverters of the gospel. They're deceptive and they are perverters of the gospel. They add to Christ. Anyone tells you you need Christ plus the law is a false teacher. Anyone who tells you you need to have Christ, but then you got to stay in there. Christ says, but you got to work to stay in the boat. That's not according to Scripture. That's not according to God's Word. Christ plus anything else is not the Gospel. And we have to be careful here because as we've already studied, Paul has told us that we are to, to live according to, to God's Word. We're to strive to be like Christ, right? We've already seen that. We've already seen that in, in uh, former verses here. We are to let your manner in life be worthy of the gospel. We're to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. So we're to, to strive to be like Christ, but understand that our striving to be like Christ does not save us. That's, that's, that's the big, the big difference because the false teacher will say you need Christ plus you need to continue these works to get in, to be saved. Where Paul has told us, work out your own, uh, own salvation in fear and trembling. Strive to be like Christ for it is God who works in you. See the difference? A subtle difference, but it's a big difference. It's a big difference. We work in the Christian walk to become like Christ. To affirm what God is doing in us. Not to save ourselves. Not to save ourselves. 
anyone who would tell you you have to work to keep your salvation is a false teacher. No part of salvation is our work. It's all God's. It's all Christ's work. Whatever work we do, it's just an affirmation of what God is doing in us. False teachers are deceptive. False teachers pervert the gospel. They appeal to our own self-righteousness. You see, we want to do it ourselves. That's that old human pride working in us. And they'll say, oh yes, you've got to have Christ, but, but yeah, you've got to do it too. And that appeals to us. As sinners, as rebels against God's authority, that appeals to the human heart. We want to be able to boast before God. Look what I've done for you, God. Paul says, no, you can't do that. You don't boast in yourself. We boast in the Lord and the Lord alone. False teachers are deceptive. They pervert the gospel. And false teachers are robbers of joy. They are robbers of joy because we can't do it. We can never save ourselves and we can't even keep ourselves in the Lord's hands. We can't keep ourselves there. If it was, if, if we were, if it was determined upon us, dependent upon us to keep us in God's hand, we would fall out constantly. We would never stay there. We sin every day. We think and we sin. We cannot save ourselves. There's no works of the law that will ever save us. Think about this, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. That's what the law is for. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified, will be saved in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law isn't given to us for us to work for our salvation. The law is given to us to show us how short we fall. The law is given to us to awaken us on understanding that without God we are forever lost. Without His grace we are forever lost. It is to show us that we cannot do it ourselves. And we need something far greater than ourselves to get us to God. So when we try to do it ourselves, when we try to win favor with God on our own merit, when we try to keep ourselves saved, over and over and over again, we will fail and we will be robbed of eternal joy. Beware of the false teachers who deceive, who pervert the gospel, and who will rob you of eternal joy. So we have the exhortation, the warning, and now the explanation. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For, it's an important word, for, because, we are the circumcision. Paul is using that language there. It's common language for those uh, who, who have that, that Jewish background. They understand what he's talking about here. They're not necessarily uh, circumcised in the flesh. But he's saying we are the circumcision. We are the people of God. Circumcision was a, a sign of the covenant. A sign that you are a, one of the people of God. And he says, no, no, no. It's not about physical circumcision. We are the real circumcision. We are the real people of God. Who? Who's the people of God? Those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Let's look at that. There's three things here. Who are 
the people of God. The explanation here, the marks of a true Christian. Marks of a true Christian. What are the marks of a true Christian? First of all, a true Christian worships by the Spirit. A true Christian worships by the Spirit. Jesus tells us in, in John chapter 4, verse 23, as he is w- talking with the woman at the well, the woman at the well, you remember, she was uh, asking him, well, you know, the Jews say you're supposed to worship on this hill, and, and we Samaritans say you're supposed to worship on this hill. Well, what do you think, Jesus? And he says, the day is coming and is now here, because Jesus was here, when the true worshiper will not worship in this place or that place, but the true worshiper will worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. And that's what Paul is getting at here. The true worshiper worships in spirit, worships by the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us how that takes place. First of all, the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates our hearts. He regenerates our hearts. That's why we we talk about the circumcision. The real circumcision is not the circumcision of the flesh, but it's the circumcision of the heart. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and comes into our hearts and He circumcises the heart. He takes this old, cold, dead heart and He circumcises it. He opens it up. He gives it life. He gives it flesh so that we can see Christ and know Christ and worship Christ in truth. The Holy Spirit regenerates us, gives us rebirth. Romans chapter 2, verse 29, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, not by the law. His praise is not from man, but from God. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the true circumcision, the circumcision of the heart. He regenerates the heart so we can worship Christ rightly. So there's that regeneration, and then there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. When we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in. He indwells in us. He lives within us. That's why Paul says, don't you know your body is a, it's like a temple? It's a temple of God. Don't, don't do bad things with your body because your body's the temple of God. The Holy Spirit lives within us. He dwells within us. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaks in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that comes into our hearts. He gives us regeneration. He gives us life. And He dwells in us. He teaches us to worship. Worship in the Spirit. So the true worshiper, the true Christian worships by the Holy Spirit. Second, the true worshiper, the true Christian boasts in Christ alone. The true Christian boasts in Christ alone. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Glory or, or boast in Christ Jesus. Jeremiah Just think about Jeremiah. In fact, Paul quotes Jeremiah that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. When Paul says that, he is quoting this verse in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this that he understands 
and knows me, that I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Paul says over and over again, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in Yahweh who sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross so that we may have life in Him. Don't boast in yourself. We have nothing to boast about. We have nothing, absolutely nothing to boast about before the Lord. Even our very best works are soiled, filthy, dirty rags before God. We have no reason to boast. We can't stand up before God and say, look, look at what I did for you today, Jesus. Look at what I did for you this week. Uh-uh. No. We have no reason to boast in whatever we do, but we only boast in the Lord. Christ did it all. He did it all, and He continues to do it all in us and through us. But we rely on Him. And we must boast in Him. The true Christian doesn't boast in selfish pride, self-righteousness, or any other form of rebellion. But the true Christian boasts in the Lord alone. Number three, the true Christian, the mark of a true Christian, trust in the righteousness of Christ alone. The true Christian, he, he worships, he or she worships by the Holy Spirit, boasts in Christ alone, and trusts in the righteousness of Christ alone. We'll expound on this far more next week. That's the whole focus of next week's passage, next week's sermon. Trusting in the righteousness of Christ alone. But Paul begins to work this out a little bit here. He says, the one who has uh, let the one who is that we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence, no confidence in the flesh. And he goes on to work this out very well here. He really gets to the issue. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now Paul is not saying that look at me, I could look at what I've done, I could save myself. That's not what he's saying here. But he's saying if you want to listen to these teachers who, who boast in what they've done, listen to me. Listen to what my life has been like. And he goes on to say, look at me circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, he, he, was, he wasn't just pious himself. He comes from a pious family who did right by the law and had him circumcised on the eighth day of his life according to the law of Moses. So his family was pious Jewish believers. He was circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel. He's, he's not a Gentile who, who come to Judaism. He was genetically, he is an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. You remember Benjamin was the tribe of the first king of Israel, King Saul. And the tribe of Benjamin was, was the only tribe out of the 12 tribes of Israel that stayed faithful to the divinic line after, uh, after Solomon, King Solomon. All the other tribes went away, but Benjamin stayed with the tribe of Judah. He's of the tribe of Judah. A Hebrew of Hebrews. While the rest of the world fell into the Hellenization of the, the Grecian Empire, there, was, there were certain sects of the, the, of the Hebrews that they remained faithful to the traditions of Israel. While so many of them kind of gave away their, Hebrewish, their, their Hebrew heritage, Paul says, my family held on to our Hebrew heritage. Yes, he, he understood Greek. He knew Greek. He wrote in Greek. The Bible, the, the parts of Scripture that he wrote, he wrote in Greek. But Paul knew Hebrew. He knew Aramaic, the native tongue of the Hebrew people. He held tight to the Hebrew traditions. 
He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, if there was anyone who kept to the law, who knew the law, it was a Pharisee. Paul was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. You remember back in Acts, Paul was one of the ones who was going out getting Christians and dragging them into court and having them condemned. Because he saw the Christian faith as a, an attack on Yahweh. Because I was zealous for Yahweh. I was zealous for the law. And I persecuted the church until he met Christ on the road to Damascus and discovered the true faith of his fathers. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Not that he was without sin, but when he did sin, he, he took the sacrifice to the temple as he was supposed to do. He, he kept the law as best a human being could keep the law. He kept the law. All these false teachers, all these Judaizers, they're coming in telling what they have done. Look at me. Paul says, look at me. Look at what I've done. If they have, think they have reason to boast, look at me. I have all the more reason to boast. But what does he go on to say in verse 7? But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain I had, whatever gain that I could ever even imagine I had before God, I count it as loss. In fact, he goes on to say, I count it as rubbish, as dung. For the sake of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for knowing Him and the righteousness that comes by Him through faith. Dear friend, if Paul with all that he did, could never save himself. There's not a person on this earth who has a chance. The true believer, the true Christian, does not boast in his or, own, his or her own merit, but trust in the righteousness of Christ alone. There is no other righteousness whereby you shall be saved. When you stand before God on the day of judgment, you must stand before Him in complete and total righteousness. Complete, total righteousness before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you can't stand in complete, total righteousness, pure righteousness before the judge of all eternity, you will be condemned forever to a devil's hell where you receive an eternity of the right judgment due your sin. Let me tell you, each and every one of us deserve to stand before God and be justly sent to a devil's hell for our rebellion against Him. There's only one's righteousness who will save us. That's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And unless we are covered in His righteousness, we have no hope whatsoever. True Christian. Trust not in his or her own righteousness, his or her own merit, but trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Wow. You trust in him today. With all your hope in Christ today. The true Believer, the true Christian, worships by the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit indwells within them. The true Christian boasts in Christ alone. The true Christian trusts in the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. Are you a true believer today? Or do you need to give your life over to Christ? Nothing hard about it, just trust in Jesus.
Give your life to Jesus. Rejoice in Christ alone. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in Jesus. Rejoice in knowing Jesus. Dear friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't know the joy of knowing Jesus, I beg you, don't leave here until you know Him. Grab a hold of Him. Hang on to Him. Beg Him to come into your heart. Come into your life to save you. Don't walk out these doors not knowing the joy of Jesus Christ. Lest one day you wake up standing before Him in your own sin. Rejoice in Christ alone for no one else nor anything else has the power to save. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank that old hymn this morning, Lord, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Oh, Lord, how often our hearts are prone to, to stray away from the joy of Christ, seeking joy in so many other vain things of this world. Oh, but Lord, may we see this morning as King Solomon saw and wrote about in the book of Ecclesiastes after he saw the world full of riches, Lord, he saw vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Or may we realize that this morning. May we rejoice in the Lord. May He be the center and the source of all our joy. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.